This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, I'm getting pretty good at that intro, don't you think? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little chill this week, though. You're very, very calm. It's a calm Wednesday, a little cooler outside, just very chill, very, very, you might have to pick up the energy level just a little bit more. It's, it's a marathon with this because we usually have, we've gone two hours the last two ones so i'm just saving the energy to the end i gotta i gotta save the energy to the end and this isn't the cold open but i think we just i just need to address uh at the top of the show the uh the little podcast snafu that we had last thursday where we we okay i said i need to address it. it it's not we even though i think maybe you were you were so upset that we didn't get to drop this podcast that you did something to the back end to 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 get that podcast out into the open. I but, wonder if anybody actually heard it like all the way through, like they like, if it was up long enough that they could listen to the whole thing. It was good. Yeah. It was a good podcast. It was a good podcast. And if you don't know what we're talking about, there was a issue with megaphone s- servers or something because I was getting a lot of weird server issues when I was working on last Thursday's podcast. And in the back end, we had our Josh Connerly commits emergency podcast that we had to bury in the graveyard, but it decided to go full zombie on us and come back from the, the dead. And for some reason it replaced the Thursday podcast that I put up and I, I checked it. I uploaded it initially and it was the, the emergency podcast. And I was like, Oh, this is wrong. So I took it offline really quickly and then I deleted it and just started a new one. And then I triple checked it that it was the correct one. The emergency was about 45 minutes. The new one was two hours and it said two hours. And then as I posted it and checked it, it was all good. My computer died and I had to get to, to practice. So I left. And then while I stopped at the gas station, I checked the board and it already had six comments on it. And I know people like the show, but <laughs> six comments. Uh, like 10 minutes after I posted is a lot of comments. So I knew something was up and people were like, what is this? Did they just really upload the, the wrong podcast? Is this, is this a troll? Are we trolling them? It would have been a great troll, but no, that was not the intention. So I had to have shotgun take it off, uh, line cause my computer was dead. And he said when he took it off, it was the correct episode. So I have no idea what was going on. Some people were getting the emergency podcast. It seemed like some people were getting the correct one. Because when I took it off, I had people like DMing me like, hey, I was just listening to the podcast and then it just cut out. So I guess it took a while for it to come out or cut off. So I, yeah, I don't know what happened. Megaphone got it back on track for me and we got it up a little bit later, but 
I apologize. But again, I have no idea what happened. It was not a troll. It was just a technological snafu, if you will, or Gerard did something. Perhaps it's foreshadowing for the porthole. Well, maybe, maybe we got to so we, just... we got to we got to keep that episode. Obviously, it would be completely <laughs> outdated because we talked about some things that would not uh, be uh, timely in uh, a year or so. But uh, nevertheless, maybe it's uh, you know sort of foreshadowing, just like our April Fool's entry was somewhat mm, foreshadowing. That is the foreshadowing, and it also wouldn't be Shotgun's birthdays uh, whenever. Whenever the next five star offensive lineman, or you know, if there's maybe a reunion, it will be. maybe it will be. I don't know. We don't. We don't know. With the portal, you're unsure of anybody. Anybody's commitment is is open. So we'll see. And this isn't us like hinting at something. We're just like <laughs> portal recruiting and transferring. It's crazy right now. It's it's a hotbed, and it's going to be a hotbed moving forward in these next couple weeks as USC tries to wrap up that. Uh, transfer class uh, for this coming season. But right now we're going to get into a new commitment. Uh, that is going to be our cold open. Uh, and we're going to kind of broaden it out into running back recruiting. But USC did pick up a 2023 running back prospect, Quinton Joyner, uh, out of Maynard, Texas, a consensus four-star prospect uh, committed on Tuesday. Very quickly, coming off an unofficial visit uh Last last weekend, I kind of talked to him about that 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 trip, and this commitment, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. There was a couple of uh, fight on emojis that popped up uh, earlier in the week. Uh, as far as we know, we don't believe this one is connected to that, uh, which hints at something lurking out of the portal for USC. But you know, Quentin Joyner decided to come on come on out and uh, commit. To USC, he's the first spring 2023 commitment for the Trojans. And Gerard, we've talked about it on this podcast. They need multiple running backs in 2023. Um, if you're a USC fan, you got to feel pretty good about getting that first one on the board. But also, should they be wary about such an early commitment? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, recruiting is so crazy these days that anytime you have a commitment, from outside the region specifically, you're a little guarded about it. You know, there's potential. Um, Joyner's going to still take official visits. He's still going to be recruited by other schools. He's ranked the number two running back in Texas and the number eight overall running back nationally. But interestingly, he doesn't have any scholarship offers from Texas, Texas A&M, LSU, or Oklahoma. So that's sort of the big four schools that really recruit Texas well. And so he doesn't have those big offers, but yet people really like him uh, from the recruiting publication side. And we have him number two behind Ruben Owens, who's the number one five-star running back in Texas and in the nation. So that's pretty high ranking for a guy that doesn't have necessarily the big-time offers. He has TCU, and they do a good job evaluating running backs in Texas, Oregon, Penn State. Uh, Oklahoma State, Nebraska, Arkansas. So there's some schools there that have very good running back tradition recently in terms of their evals and the guys that they are putting out, but not necessarily the big schools that you would really worry about the most, I think, if you're USC, if they swoop in sometime during the summer. I think everybody's sort of looking at Ruben Owens 
Obviously, Texas feels good about Ruben Owens. Um, I'm not really sure what Oklahoma's running back situation is or who they're necessarily circling, but there's some other guys there. And if they may miss out on those players, you could see, uh, you know, an Oklahoma or an LSU or one of those schools circling back and ended up recruiting Quentin Joyner. So that would be where you go, okay, you know, now he's maybe going to take an official visit there. And, you know, with the NIL stuff, we always have to kind of think about where does he fit in the grand scheme for another school like an Arkansas? Um, because, you know, you talk about the big time guys that everybody's looking at and how the NIL really affects them. But there's schools like Louisville, there's schools like Arkansas, there's schools that invest a lot in football. And a guy that's maybe a, a, a mid four star, lower four star is sort of the marquee player in their class. And you may have a good NIL deal that they really push in front of them that matches or exceeds what a bigger school will do. So that's going to be an interesting part of all this. We always look at that from a playing time standpoint. You go back to Deshaun Jackson and him wanting to be the guy at Cal as opposed to being one of the guys at USC. And now you've sort of transitioned that and, and split it up into not only playing time and, and what a player wants to look at a school for in terms of early playing time and how he's used and how he's sort of the guy that they build around, but also from an NIL standpoint, does that program want to build around that player? And one man's four-star could be another man's five-star. It really just sort of depends on the class as a whole. So that's going to be interesting. Yes, we do take it with a little bit of grain of salt, but a very productive player. And, you know, we'll get into the eval of him a little bit here. But, you know, 24, almost 2,500 yards, 31 touchdowns, averaging 11 yards a carry as a junior. He has a production, plays at a very good uh, competition level in Texas. Uh, not the highest, but uh, a decent amount of competition that he's seen. And he's been able to have some really big games and uh, a very intriguing running back prospect for sure. And, and a very good running back prospect. Um, the best that USC has signed in recent memory. Uh, certainly, you have to go back to Stephen Carr. Uh, or some of those players very early in the Clay Helton era before you're getting a, a solid four-star running back. Yeah, that's a really good point you made about sort of, you know, another man's four-star could be, you know, the five-star of a class. And we don't want to count out, you read off that offer list and sort of the bigger schools that haven't offered. We don't want to count out sort of those schools come calling later in the process. You know, he's coming off a huge junior season, like you mentioned, uh, to, uh, close to 2,500 yard, 2,500 rushing yards, 31 touchdowns, had a, two more receiving scores, about 100 yards receiving. He does have, you know, pretty decent track speed. His, his, his PR is a 1099, uh, ran, ran at the AAU Junior Olympics. So he's got some, some track speed. He is an athlete. You know, he's a very good shot putter as well. I believe his, his PR is like in the 46 range, 40, or maybe even 49. So he's got some strength there. Um, He's really elusive. He's athletic. Um, like we mentioned, he, he's, he's listed at five foot 10, about uh, 190 pounds. I believe looking at the tape, he, he looks a little bit smaller, maybe five foot nine, five foot eight. I know Gabe Brooks did a, a pretty good breakdown, um, of, of his, his skill set. And you also did a future impact. So there's a lot of VIP stuff, um, up about him on uscfootball.com. So you can check that out but a really athletic, dynamic uh, pickup. And we don't want to count out, you know, schools 
bigger schools, schools on like the level of USC sort of getting involved. You know, maybe Texas enters the picture late. Texas A&M could come in. Like you mentioned, LSU, maybe they like what they see out of out of Joiner, especially when schools are going to start going and checking out uh, hitting up hitting up high schools for the spring evaluation period. And especially if he gets off to a hot start, like he if he does another big season uh, at Manor, like he had as a junior year, you know, absolutely those big offers can come rolling in, and USC is probably going to have to fight to keep him involved. Yeah, the early recruiting period is it's dynamic. The difference is, and we kind of touched on this in past podcasts. The good for, thing for USC right now is their stability. Mm-hmm. So with the coaching staff. You know Lincoln Riley is going to be there unless the NFL comes calling. And the NFL is probably not calling unless you've got at least a couple of very good seasons at USC under your belt. So from a stability standpoint, the coaching staff is really in a good place, and it hasn't been in a good place for six years. Uh, I mean, literally, it was the 2016 season where USC goes to the Rose Bowl, and people are saying, well, maybe, maybe Clay Helton can be the guy. Because when he was hired, nobody thought he was the guy. Okay, we don't have to armchair quarterback that. At that time, people were very suspect of that hire. And we were very suspect of that hire. And he goes 2016 after kind of turning around. I mean, losing the the final two games of the 2015 season when he was actually technically given the head coaching job where they lost to Stanford and then they turn around and lost to, was it Wisconsin or Iowa? I can't remember. I think it was Wisconsin. And then they turn around the next season and they lose their first three games uh, or or three out of the first four games. They did beat, uh, I think it was Idaho or somebody in there, but it was a really, really horrific start. Uh, and which was really the, 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 we talk about foreshadowing. That'll be the theme of this podcast of, of really what Clay Helton had to offer, uh, as a head coach. And, and, but they, they somehow turn it around because everybody's basically doubting them and, and writing him off and saying he's, he's probably going to be fired <laughs> before, you know, he really, uh, gets the, the seat warm in the office. And, uh, and then Sam Darnold comes in and is the savior in that 2016 season. So 2016, and then 2017 wasn't a great year, and they kind of picked it up towards the end of the year as well, and that's when he gets that big extension. And that was the last time where we really were talking about USC being in a coaching stability type of environment. And that's really huge for kids because they want to know who is going to development. Player development is utmost important for these kids. And so when you don't know who the coaches are going to be there and, and you don't have a coaching staff that's necessarily putting guys in the NFL or have guys that have gone to the NFL because that was touch and go. You know, they made some hires of some coaches, um, bringing in a guy like Tim Dreveno to be a running back coach and he's zero resume in terms of guys that he's actually coached that have gone on in the NFL. Really, that's really difficult. You know, that's handicapping your recruiting efforts. So that's not the case now. You've got a guy like Kyle McDonald who's got guys in the NFL, shown to be a very good developer of talent. And I think that's the key thing is that they kind of went in, they grabbed a guy that, again, and this is sort of the the lead to my analysis piece, mm-hmm. was here's a guy that's ranked number two in Texas as a running back, number eight overall nationally, and it feels like he's under the radar. Feels like right. he was kind of plucked a guy under the radar. Now, whether he remains under the radar or not, I tell you what, he turns that 10.99 into a 10.88, and you might see yeah. a lot of schools all of a sudden jump on that offer list. Um, 10.99 is not great. 
uh, for a guy that's 5'8", 190. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's We'd like to see a little more uh, from him. Granted, on film, he does not get caught from behind, and he breaks a lot of angles. He, he looks faster on film than 1099, but he does have a little bit of a deceptive gait. Uh, he shuffles a lot. He's very patient running back. Uh, he's very physical, and, and not physical in terms of he goes and looks for the physicality. He looks for contact. He's just very good about breaking tackles, keeping his eyes up, and moving forward. And for a guy that's really not a big running back, he does that extremely well. So, you know, he, he's not a sudden guy like a Jacques Rogers, who uh, USC fans remember him at Oregon State. He was a, he, he was a little quicker. He was a little more, you know, boom, boom, kind of in and out of the hole, a smaller running back as well, but, but very, you know, solid lower body and, and could, you know, bring some physicality when he needed to. Uh, somebody actually made the comparison, and, and I have to be honest with you, I saw this too when I watched the film, and I go, but I can't really make this comparison because too many people will take it generally and run with it, and it's it's a bad physical comparison, is Quentin Joyner and Lindell White. So one of the people that said... They're already running, Gerard. They're already off and running. Well, well, one of the people on the <laughs> message boards who lives in Texas says he's seen him play in person. And, and that's the other reason why I did the, the future impact is we really didn't have anybody that has seen Quentin Joyner really play in person a significant amount. Uh, Brad Peroni saw him a little bit at a camp, but didn't really focus on him too much. So we really didn't have any kind of genuine insight. And, and that's what I usually like to get. I used I like to talk to someone who's seen someone, right. seen the prospect in person to be able to kind of break down uh, the, the, the pros and cons and what they bring to the table. And then I add to it as to the context of, okay, how, how does this fit in the bigger picture for USC? How does this fit from a roster depth standpoint? So, you know, we didn't have that. So I, I kind of just watched the film and, and I, there was two guys that actually jumped out to me. I didn't make the, the comparison with either in the actual piece. One was Lendell White, just in terms of his ability to break tackles and how he broke tackles. It wasn't, so much running through people. It's just, it seems like it's water off a duck's back. He's very slippery in that way. He, he does not go down for the first tackle uh, almost at all. I think there was one clip I saw where he was kind of tackled by the first guy and every other clip, it was two, three guys it took to tackle him downfield. He really is deceptive. I think with his angles in terms of how fast he is because of his gait and, and that sort of really kind of uh, close, running style that he has his stride is, is is not a long stride and I think people kind of miss uh, misgauge that angle and he breaks a lot of tackles because of that and he keeps his eyes up and he keeps moving forward for a guy that's a, a diminutive um you know like I said yeah five nine you know 190 195 pounds is what he, he looks like on film um and the other guy kind of his running style up against the line of scrimmage remind me a little of Bryce Love from Stanford but you go and watch Bryce Love in high school, he's a different kind of player. He doesn't look like that. He doesn't look like that out of high school. But at Stanford, he sort of looks like that. Uh, Joyner is not as fast. He doesn't have, I think, the top end speed of a Bryce uh, Love. Um, although, again, at that level in high school, he sort of looks at it. So you kind of have to you, – you have to take, you know, the, the grain of salt that it's high school level guys, and he's going to look that way. You do have to project how he's going to look that way against bigger, stronger, faster. You know, is that going to really work? Uh, against guys that are faster and the guys that are bigger. We don't really know necessarily, but um, a decent level of competition 
in Texas. I think the ultimate uh, comparison, the, the, the dirty comparison I made was LaMichael Pirine, who uh, was at Florida. And, and there's, there's similarities there. Pirine's a bit bigger, but as in terms of recent running backs, if you go watch that film of him uh, at Florida, you'll see some of those comparisons. A little mild Gaskin there, although the one thing we haven't seen much from Joyner on film uh, or in general in terms of production is receiving. So we don't really know what kind of receiver it is. They don't target him very much. That's not a big part of their offense there at man. Right. Yeah. That was kind of the one of big hitting points for Gabe Brooks's analysis as well is that, you know, that's an area he has to improve in or at least show more of because he only has, I believe it's like 14 catches over two seasons. So maybe we'll see a little bit of more of that uh, this year, but I don't, I, I think if, you know, Lincoln Riley and those guys are, are bringing him into the class, I think they're, they're, they feel good about his, his ability to be a pretty good pass catcher. Um, and yeah, that was a great piece he wrote. Uh, if you want to go see more, look it up on uscfootball.com. Um, but overall, Gerard, what do you think this does to the running back recruiting board? You know, we've talked about how they want at least two. Could it be three? You know, maybe it could be three. I would, I would wager that it's more likely going to be two backs especially if they bring in someone else, a younger guy, out of the portal. Um, but, you know, there's some interesting names that are still left on this, high up on this board. You know, there's Roderick Robinson, the big, big San Diego running back. You still need sort of that big back kind of guy, and he he fits that. We talked about how Mark Fletcher, you know, he's kind of off the board. You know, he committed to Ohio State uh, last week. And, you know, Cedric Baxter, who's a, who's a little bit different. You know, he's more of a a – Maybe a joystick back, not pure joystick, but he's a little more dynamic with his ability as a pass catcher. And then obviously you mentioned him already, Ruben Owens, the number one rated running back, not in, not just in Texas, but in the country. He is still very much a target for USC. You know, we, we think USC is probably on the outside of that race, uh, for Owens, even though they still, they still are a contender for him. Uh, but what does the board look like now that, you know, they have one, one in the hole right now. This is one of the more interesting aspects of this commitment. Is it a, it's a guy that's outside the region that took the unofficial visit, really liked USC and commit. And I think, you know, we sort of been waiting and seeing whether there was going to be some of those type of prospects that would end up on the commit list sooner rather than later, just by the number of prospects they've had on campus during the spring. I mean, it's been, a turnstile of four-star guys that have been on campus unofficially visiting left and right. And you're kind of waiting, okay, what's one of these guys going to commit? Like, where's the pull there? Is USC really pushing to get some of these commitments and they're just not getting them because these kids are taking a bunch of unofficial visits to other schools and, you know, they like every school that they go to. I mean, Braxton Myers is a great example. And I, I we'll get back to the running back position, but a, a great example of a player that, you know, I talked to him after his unofficial visit to USC a couple of weeks ago. He's going to be back for the spring game. Mm-hmm. And I had the vibe that, you know, USC is very, very high on his list. Now he also went to Clemson and the people that cover Clemson got the same impression that <laughs> really likes Clemson as well. And, and, and obviously kids can like more than one school, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, does USC have enough to build that faith that before they get on the field and they produce some type of product whether it be defensively or offensively you know we look and see what this is going to look like for Lincoln Riley at USC can they sell these kids on committing 
And we talked about this last week. I won't rehash the sort of, you know, good and bad of having those commits coming out of the summer and going into the season and trying to keep them committed. If you have, you know, only so many wins as opposed to having a good season and building that momentum during the season and taking those commitments, then, you know, there's arguments for and against. And I think with the running back position, it's the most intriguing because I think Joyner, while we had the impression that he really liked USC, yeah. wasn't necessarily a guy that we earmarked as a guy that would commit this early. Uh, maybe during this summer, because a lot of these kids are going to want to get it done before the start of their senior season. Yeah, but, he had planned to come back. He told me, you know, USC is definitely in my top five. I plan to come back. He's already He'd already set up or had a official visit for June in the works. Parents love the trip. But he was still taking visits. I believe he hit up Oregon right after. Like he flew out of USC, uh, California, and then went up to Oregon for a visit. So it, it looks like it's a situation where he saw what he wanted to see in his little spring spring tour and decided to to you know to get up on it and and go ahead and commit. And so expect him back this summer. He will be back. He will be back this weekend actually for the spring game. And we're going to go over that a little more of the list. But yeah, it, it wasn't a sort of commitment that we had earmarked for happening soon, especially with all the other running backs we had been talking about earlier in the, in the spring. Yeah. Just to other players in in general, you know, guys like Brandon Enos as well. So we've been kind of waiting to see, you know, when, if USC strikes, or if this is going to be one of those things where these kids are just not quite sold enough and they hold off or they end up committing to other schools and then they still, look at USC and that's always sort of the complication again going back to whether you're scheduling these official visits during the summer or if you're confident enough that during the season you can win ball games try to have them at some point during the season the other thing that USC and Lincoln Riley is going to fight against here and this is coming up right this weekend with the spring game is the fact that USC fans are not necessarily sold on this product yet um it takes a lot to win over Los Angeles Sports fans, this is not some little small town. This is not Norman. This is not Baton Rouge. This is not Lincoln, Nebraska. It's not Columbus, Ohio. It's This is L.A. And while people are very excited about having an actual qualified head coach leading the team and you're going to see a good turnout, you're not going to see 60,000, 70,000 people at the Coliseum. So you're competing against that. You've got guys like Dylan Rayola, the five-star quarterback in the 2024 class who's going over and he's visiting Ohio State and this is this is the best time for Ohio State right now because the weather is not putrid (laughs) you've got a full stadium you've got basically a game day atmosphere you know you're rocking with Urban Meyer running your NIL deals you've got this whole thing going on and this is like the time right for for them this is you know it's not winter and you know Ohio State's dropped a couple games and and it's you know there's all this stuff that goes on that can completely work against you momentum wise. So this is really still, I would say maybe a vulnerable time in recruiting for USC, trying to work against some of these other schools that are, you know, established and they're going to have all those fans and they're going to have that atmosphere. And you're going to host some of these kids, uh, not just, you know, right now during the spring game, but even maybe even towards the beginning of the season, you start winning ball games and you start filling the uh, seats at the Coliseum, and then it becomes a whole different story. You know, you can get that environment and that atmosphere at USC. We've seen it before. I mean, we've seen it, like, at a very, very high level that a lot of other schools can't compete with when USC is really, really rolling. Um, yeah. So 
they got to get to that point. So, you know, is Cedric Baxter a guy that's going to buy in early on? Is is Ruben Owens going to buy in early on? Now, this is also, and we talked about this last week again, it's going to be one of these things. It's like a soap opera. It's a running narrative. <laughs> yes, yes, do yes. As often as week to week. The NIL deals are going to be a factor here. And when you see what Tennessee is doing, Tennessee's been a mess of a program for a lot of years, but they're still grabbing some of these guys. There's always that wild card that, you know, the, the powers that be, the donors, the, the, the sponsors, the, the people with the checkbooks say, you know what? We like Ruben Owens. This is LA. It's USC. They've had a tremendous success with running backs. We see this guy as being the next Reggie Bush. And and it's very interesting because how much of the personality of these recruits shows through when there's still that gap that's supposed to be between the school and the boosters when it comes to recruiting. So it's not like the boosters are all just sitting down with these kids and talking to them during official visits. That's not allowed. You can't have that. So right. how do these individuals know from a, from a real like we're we're talking about the genuine NIL deal instead of the fake booster? I'm just going to throw money at this kid because the coaches like him and they think he's good. We're talking about the people that come in and say, "I want you to be on my Wheaties box. I want you to be on the the next commercial for my whatever I'm endorsing product that I have, which is what this is supposed to be about." They have to figure out, you know, personality wise, is, is this a young man that can do it? Right. Is this, a, they, they knew Caleb Williams could do it because he was already at Oklahoma and you saw him on TV and, and you could get a, a sense for how he was in terms of his personality and his character. But with these high school kids, this is where we come in. This is where we are an avenue. And I'm, and I've already am shaking my head at these parents that have their hands out because they're like, Oh, NIL deal. You want to talk to my kid? You want to have an interview with us? Pay us. That's that's completely asinine. You have room temperature IQ if you think that that's going to benefit you in the long term. In the long term, you have to get your son out there and get him acclimated to media and, and talk to media and get his personality out there and become a personality because that is what's going to attract the real money from NIL deals. That's what's going to attract whatever company that wants to use your son and a USC football player as a part of their company that represents their company. And if you're not articulate and you don't have a good personality, it's just not going to work. You might be able to get, you know, some money from some boosters somewhere in the, in the dark edges of the, the Mason Dixon line. And, you know, that'll be that short term money. But in terms of actually working with companies and corporations and, and actually furthering your name, image and likeness, you have to be able to build that brand. And really, the only people that are out there to help you build that brand are people like us at 24-7 and the other recruiting publications that sort of give the kids the stage. So I know that kind of went off on a rant of, of NIL <laughs> a little bit, but there's that wild card there. When we look at the running back position and you say Ruben Owens, you see uh, Cedric Baxter Jr. Those are the two guys that jump off the list immediately as potential NIL, NIL guys, right? I, the, the other kids, they're just sort of names out there. I mean, there's some guys lower on the list. 
you know, a guy like Trayon Webb who told me he was going to officially visit USC, then didn't put USC in his top six, I think. You know, who knows what, what goes on uh, with with these things, you know, behind closed doors. But those are the two guys that sort of are, are out there. And then obviously Roderick Robinson, who is a local guy, and I think the school aspects of things, because I don't think NIL is going to be a huge thing for him. I, again, there's always the sort of Louisville's and, and Arkansas's and, you know, the, the, the other schools that are sort of, they'll, they'll invest. Um, so you don't know, maybe there's a four star that they, they, they grab that would normally just go to a USC or an Alabama or a Clemson, or et cetera. Um, but I think Robert Robinson is, is definitely a potential player there. Um, different type of running back. I, again, a very physical running back. I mean, if there's a, a tie between Joyner and Robinson, it's physicality. And quite frankly, Baxter's pretty physical too. I mean, he's already 215 pounds, definitely has a little bit more finesse and skill as a player. And that's why he's ranked higher, but still a guy that brings a, a little bit behind him when he runs the ball. And that's another thing that with USC that transitioned into that whole air raid, not air raid offense, the, the Drake, like, I think I was calling it the, uh, the Drake raid offense, which is basically to just throw the ball to Drake London. Um, you, you lacked those guys that had any kind of size and physicality. And then you had Marquis step transfer out. And it's like, how are you really going to be able to get, uh, break a tackle on third and two when your running backs are all like, you know, 200 pound range? Um, so that's interesting to see that USC and, and Kyle McDonald and of course at Utah, they had those type of running backs, a little bigger running backs and smaller running backs, but they did have some more physicality in the run game. That's what they're moving towards. Ruben Owens being the guy that's the outlier is the game breaker type of guy. Um, but that's going to be the interesting part. And I look at running back and I look at defensive line. Those are the positions that sort of jump out to me the most as to, okay, do you have to do something special here above and beyond what you just offer as a school to be able to grab one of these type of players? Um, again, you know, a four-star defensive lineman from the South for USC might be like a five-star just because you don't have access to those players locally, whereas Alabama be able to have a handful of those guys. So when it comes to NIL, does that become a little bit more of a, okay, where are we investing our money as donors now in this game? Where are we putting it? Are we, are we putting it all on the quarterback? Are we putting it in other positions? You kind of have to, like the NFL draft, look at what is the most important to your program. But what's different than the draft is that you don't just grab whoever you have to look at what you have geographically and what you have in terms of position that you can get normally in a cycle, as opposed to those positions like defensive tackle, where you're looking for a six, four, 300 pound guy. And it's just very rare. You're going to see that on the West coast. Gerard, where did you come up with room temperature IQ? Is that yours? Did you get that from somewhere? Is that something no, a coach just, yelled? Is that something a coach yelled at you one time on the practice field? You know, I take offense to that. That's a that's a, <laughs> almost like a backhanded compliment. Like, oh, that's a real smart thing to say. Did somebody else tell you that? No, I was I was. Just, it, it feels like a very football coach thing to yell at somebody. <laughs> no, no, no. That's just I don't know. I picked that up somewhere. I know I didn't come up with it. Okay, I was just curious. I'd never heard that before. Great. Great insult to use on somebody. Um, but it's going to be interesting. Maybe this is how we transition to talking about the spring game and sort of, you know, expected visitors. But Quinn Joyner, he told me that he is flying in to L.A. He is going to be here for the spring game. Roderick Robinson has already 
put out there on social media that he will be at the spring game. He has been on campus at least uh, twice already, so this will be his third time. And then, you know, the big one, Ruben Owens, we haven't heard otherwise, but he is expected to be uh, a visitor for the spring game, probably the top-end visitor, assuming he still makes that trip out here. Um, so you'll have those three guys all together in the same place. So an, an interesting opportunity and an interesting situation for the coaching staff getting all three of those running backs together for the spring game. Yeah, you would love to get all three together uh, on the early signing period too. And because <laughs> yeah, USC, I mean, they could definitely take three players. Um, now, especially if one of them is Owens, for sure. Yeah, there's there's always that sort of best player available, you know, at the end of the year, and we'll see. Numbers wise, it, it's it is a matrix trying to figure out like where USC is really going to be. Terms of their class numbers, because you just don't know what these transfers, these guys, are they going to be one and done? Um, a lot of them have that mentality. You know, I'm going to USC, I'm going to have one year and I'm out. You know, Brendan Rice is a good example of a guy that I think has that mentality. But whether that's the case or not, really going to depend on what the grade is from the NFL and what type of season they have. Right. So that's a that's a big unknown um, numbers wise years to year to year, and, and what you really are going to have and what. The coaching staff wants to use specifically for the transfer portal. And I would say running back is one of those positions that you might be able to pluck a guy out uh, yearly and not necessarily uh, it's, it's, it's a somewhat plug and play position. You know, it's not quite like cornerback though. There are some positions defensive line, I think, which would be ranked higher in terms of going in and getting a transfer and having immediate impact. Running back, I think there's a little more that has to be learned. But, I mean, USC has had success going in getting quality running backs. You know, that's the thing. It's USC has had success. Keontae Ingram was a good get for them. Darren Barlow was a very good get for them. We're we're still kind of excited to see what Darren Barlow does if he can be, like, the guy. Um, he's got some competition, obviously, there now with Austin Jones and Travis Dye. And Travis Dye is, is kind of – Kind of feels like he's going to be the guy just because of, you know, the success he had at Oregon and you kind of picture him in that Oklahoma offense. And it would seem like if they can get some good running blocks and they can get the offensive line playing like they did at the end of the of, of last year, he's going to be very successful. But, but Barlow's still a guy that uh, physically, I mean, looking at the NFL, he probably is the best prospect from that standpoint. I mean, in terms of size and speed and everything. Um, so that has been a, a, a position where you've been able to go into the portal and you've been able to, to, to have some success and get some talent out. So you always kind of wonder, like, do you really want to take three high school guys when you know, uh, that you could potentially go and get a transfer in? I would say that it, it depends on the level of quality that you can get out of high school. You know, I mean, those guys, Three to a class, obviously, there's potential somebody's going to transfer out. It's just like a, really the quarterback position of years ago when you got, you know, two. Sometimes schools would get three quarterbacks in the same class. Seems like that never happens anymore because they just know kids are going to transfer out. But you get two, three guys, you, you know somebody's going to leave. If not, two of those guys are going to leave. That's sort of like every position now. That's that's the difference between, you know, football, 10 15 years ago and now is that every single position you're going to have that potential where there's a, there's a, a good talented player on your second team that just doesn't want to wait and he's going to leave 
And so, you know, um, you, you have to balance out, I guess, your numbers and look at it from a class standpoint and make sure that you're spreading things out as much as you can. It's interesting to talking about the running backs and how you kind of mentioned Travis Dye being kind of the the projected top guy, but Lincoln Riley has also has mentioned, I believe it was this week, that all three of those guys are going to play significant roles with this offense. It doesn't sound like they're going to have sort of a quote unquote like bell cow or lead back. All three, Darwin Barlow, Austin Jones, who has really come on late in the spring, uh, Coach Kyle McDonald said he has been balling as of late in these final two weeks. So he's making plays. You know, they've mentioned multiple times that they're going to utilize every running back on this roster and they're going to use them all differently because they all have different skill sets, but they'll also use them, you know, multiple in a multitude, a multitude of ways, giving their pass catching, flex them out wide, motion them, whatever that may be. So. It's going to be the spring game will be, you know, a way, you know, they're not going to show everything, but I think it's an opportunity to show how they can use all of these backs and sort of cycle them in and show like, you know, we need more backs. We can, we're an offense that is running back friendly. We produce thousand yard rushers. We pass them the ball. You can showcase that in this day and age, you know, you, you can get the ball to multiple running backs in a multitude of ways, especially in this offense. So in that regard, you know, the USC spring game will be important, uh, especially when you have, you know, potentially those all three of those guys there at the same time watching uh, yes. this half of football. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, definitely key. And I think that will maybe dictate uh, what we'll see offensively to some extent. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about the list here, but certainly if those three guys are on campus, then that's going to be something that's important that they want to be able to show you know, what the running game can be. And um, that's a great thing to say and to preach, but certainly you hope that it doesn't become the detriment of the running game because that was somewhat of an issue for at times, I think, with the offense previously where they kept rotating to the point where they didn't allow one running back to sort of get a hot hand. And sure. You know, with, with bigger running backs, especially in guys that are just, they got to kind of get that lather. The, 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 there's a something to being to a play help word, lather. Yeah. Physical <laughs> running back and you got to get some contact. You just sort of got to get in the game a bit. And sometimes if you're rotating a bunch, you're not really allowed to. I think with Travis Dye, I think he definitely, um, is a guy that, that is a compliment to another guy and, and, for his long-term career, the way he runs, as physical as he runs, it's good for him to get some reps off. Um, Oregon probably overused him a little bit sometimes because he's not a big guy and he is, right. he runs a lot like, he reminds me of Justin Farkas to some extent in terms of how he just man, catapults himself through that hole, whether there's a hole there or not. Um, and so having someone else being able to get some reps and relieve him to some extent is good, but you do want to make sure that the rotation isn't over rotated in that if you've got a guy that's just got a hot hand and he just seems to be hitting it, uh, they allow him to do that. I, I would think that more of a Barlow than I would an Austin Jones. Austin Jones, I think, is a guy you can kind of throw in there. Kind of like what, what I talked about with the difference between Quentin Joyner and Raleigh Brown. Uh, a lot of people would look at their frame and their size and say, well, they're probably similar. You already have Raleigh Brown there. Do you really need to go after another smaller guy. Well, first and foremost, yes, just because of depth purposes, you would 
never say, oh, we have Raleigh Brown, so we don't need to recruit another fast, dynamic running back in the 2023 class. Of course you do. But in that particular instance, with that comparison, they're very different players. And Raleigh Brown's a guy that you're going to be able to toss in there and have him be a complete change of pace type of player. I, I think you could literally put him in there once and he could just break a big play. It could be an 80-yard touchdown that changes the game for you. He's that type of player. Whereas Quinn Joyner is definitely a guy you want to get carries. He, he's, he needs carries. You can see that his game is very much about patience and is about rhythm and it's about playing within the offense. And those type of running backs, you have to get carries or they're just going to be a bit off. That's, that's an interesting, uh, not theory because I think it's true. The, the whole rhythm aspect and that, I felt like that was all, always sort of an issue with a guy like Marquis Step. I mean, obviously he had some injury issues as well, but he never seemed to be able to get into a rhythm because they just used him so infrequently. You know, he would come in for two carries, break off some good runs, and then he'd be out. And it was just very frustrating to watch because that seems like a guy, to your point, that, you know, needed as a bigger back that rhythm could start pounding those guys. They start to, they start to dip a little more when they're trying to tackle him. He, it seemed like the more carries he got, the better he ran. But unfortunately, they never gave him the carries to sort of reach that point consistently. Yeah, we saw a little bit, and this is where the run game actually looked somewhat healthy at USC, is when Drake London went down and you started to see those carries mount up a bit with Ingram and Vi Malapai. Vi Malapai has been a guy like that for a long time. That, Yeah, he has some all-purpose skills. He was a very good receiver. He's a good blocker. He's a very kind of good all-around player, but he's a guy that's playing at 220. He needs to, to lean into those defenders a bit and, and get carries and get working. And, and you saw USC do that more at the end of last season than they've done in a lot of other seasons where they really, they kind of forced the running game a bit and they went to it and they went to it and they went to it. Now, obviously the offensive line has to be, they have to block and they have to show that they can have some consistency as well. You don't want those negative plays in the run game and they weren't getting that. So it made it easier to run the ball more. You know, it's football. Everything sort of connects to each other. But I think there was a lot more patience and there was a lot more confidence for whatever reason. Keontae Ingram, I think they just had a lot of confidence in. They felt like he was going to be a great player the minute he stepped on campus. And they felt like they had a guy that could really do it, which is unfortunate because I think that they've had some other guys like, uh, you know, Keenan Christian, who if they really developed him and really gave time to getting him the ball and really sort of trying to find ways offensively to play to his strengths would have been a fantastic player at USC. Stephen Carr would have been that as well, but I think his back injury really slowed him down and really hurt him. And like you said, Marquis Stepp, I think, was another guy that just didn't get the consistent reps, didn't get the four or five reps in a row. It just seemed like USC wanted to be balanced just for the sake of being balanced and that sort of slows down your run game when things just seem to be working in your offensive line. Sometimes they want to just fire off the ball and go smash somebody in front of them. Yeah. And when they're on their back step and they're in their kick step and they're on their heels, you know, at 50 times a game, that's hard for an offensive lineman. They feel like they're just, you know, trying to maintain instead of going out there and bringing the physicality to the defense. So let's transition into this sort of spring game visitor list. And obviously it's not complete. Some of these guys we still have to confirm, but some of them we have confirmed. And it's not the full list, obviously, because we're filming, we're filming, we're recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, so lots could change 
uh, in that three day span going into that spring game. But, you know, there's, there's some guys that are expected to be here. I mentioned Quentin Joyner. He's flying in, uh, from Texas to be here. You have DeAndre Carter, the big modern day 2024 offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman. He was there on campus earlier this week. He has confirmed that he is expected to be there. We already mentioned Roderick Robinson. Um, Jason Frutos Ramos, uh, the, the 2023, uh, four star cornerback out of St. John Bosco. He has already put out there on social media that he's going to be returning, uh, for the Saturday. He was there last Saturday. He will be back on campus, uh, for the spring game. His teammate, Marcellus Williams, that felt like a no brainer. His brother, Max, uh, is expected to be out there for the starting defense at nickel. Uh, he is a national prospect himself, Marcellus in the 2024 class. He will be in attendance, you know, cheering on his brother. Um, there, Devin Tompkins, I'm just going over this list. Devin Tompkins, not a recruit per se, the 2022 edge defender signee for the 2022 class. He's going to be there, so you're going to get to see uh, Devin Tompkins and see what he looks like up close. Braxton Myers, as you mentioned, the 20 top 247 safety prospect out of Texas. He's going to be in town. And then one of the biggest names on this list, uh, our friend Blair Angulo kind of put it out there earlier this week, but Deuce Robinson, the, the five star tight end prospect out of Arizona, the number one tight end in the nation. He is going to be on campus. He is going to be a spring game attendee. So that is a huge one. Uh, obviously for this list, if, if Ruben Owens does not make it out, Deuce Robinson is, will be the number one prospect on campus this weekend and you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in our crystal ball watch segment of this show. Uh, but right now, you know, looking, shaping up to be a pretty good visitor list, uh, for the Trojans. Yeah. Time to get Josh Fowler the ball, right? Yeah. <laughs> or somebody the ball. Maybe, maybe Lincoln was kind of, uh, putting it out there because he was asked which position group he's excited to, to see on Saturday. And he said the tight ends. He felt like the tight ends have really, uh, taken a step these last two weeks. So maybe he was just kind of setting us up to get the Titans the ball a lot uh, on Saturday. Well, truth be told, the tight end position is a pretty talented position for USC. I mean, they've yeah. got some, some, some good players we're waiting to see if Malcolm Epps can step up and, and be that guy. We know Jude Wolf has gotten a lot of reviews and, and has shown flashes of being a very good player. And Lake McCree actually played a lot as a true freshman last year. And so you know, even with, with Fowler there and the guy that USC has not utilized in the past, um, still a, a very high four-star prospect, a guy that a lot of people thought coming out of high school was going to be an immediate impact player and kind of was for USC. I mean, yeah, he had a big catch versus Stanford yeah. in that uh, Pac-12 championship game. And people were like, oh, there's Josh Fowler. He's going to be a big-time guy for USC and just disappeared. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, um, that'll be interesting. Obviously, USC is going to want to also showcase sort of you know, the lack of big receiver that they have uh, right now, you know, they, they lose London and they don't really replace them as Michael Trigg leaves and goes to Ole Miss. Uh, so there's a lot of sort of that nuance between the big receiver and tight end position with USC had under Graham Harrell. And it was sort of a little bit of a shell game as to, okay, is, is Drake London a tight end or is he a wide receiver? I always looked at Drake London as a wide receiver. Whereas I look at Deuce, Robinson being a, a little more of a tight end that can just split wide. And the difference just being, you know, the athleticism, the high end athleticism of Drake London being such a good basketball player. Um, he's deceptive speed. 
he was a guy that just played just really predominantly receiver out of high school and yet was a really, really good blocker. And I think just because of his size and the the aggressiveness and the nastiness he has as a blocker gave him the ability to potentially play tight end in the league. We'll see if that's where he ends up playing or he ends up still, you know, retaining that receiver title when he gets to the NFL. Um, But with Robinson, he's kind of the guy it's him and, and Walker Lyons are the two tight ends that really stand out on the target list in terms of guys that USC is recruiting that they have a decent shot with. We haven't really seen Riley Williams around and he's the 6'5", 230 pound four star out of Portland. Uh, he was supposed to be down on an unofficial visit to USC uh, the weekend of the Under Armour camp and he didn't make the Under Armour camp or USC that weekend. So And he'll uh, be at Oregon for their spring game this weekend. So it's interesting sort of, you know, who's going to go to Oregon, who's going to go to USC. It's a little bit of that uh, that rivalry battle between with these two spring games and getting camp kids on campus for them. Yeah. So Robinson is the big get for USC and Lions. Uh, I don't believe is going to be at USC. He just is coming back from Ohio state. So he took an unofficial visit there. Um, you know, BYU's in there. Uh, there's a lot of sort of uh, opinions as, as in terms of where Walker Lions is leaning I think USC's got a good shot, but I could see him going elsewhere as well. I, I don't know that um, that's going to be one of those things that, uh, you know, I would say that he's got a favorite right now. It's it's tough. I think, you know, him going on a mission uh, out of high school also right. sort of, you know, kind of it's up in the air a little bit. And, and so from a depth standpoint, he's not going to be a second tight end really in the class immediately. He may be down the line, but – if you're going after a tight end, you need a tight end in this class, then you've got to recruit over him as well. So yeah, Deuce Robinson, obviously top at USC's list. And we've heard for a while that USC was in a good position for him. He's also a very, very good baseball player as well. Uh, six, six, two twenty five baseball player. He could potentially go that route instead of football. Now, you know, we heard that sort of about Drake London. He might go basketball instead of football. So you really have to see, you know, how things, kind of play out once they get on a college campus, but um, he would be, yeah, the guy at tight end. And then you don't really see USC with a lot of other scholarship offers out there to guys that, you know, they have at face value, a great shot at Jackson Bowers at uh, Mesa, Arizona is six, five, two pound four star, but really not a guy that we've heard much mentioned with USC. Um, and you have Collins, uh, a King Pong. Um, I forget how to pronounce his last name. Um, I think he did a good job. I think he did a good job. Uh, Akeem Pong is, you know, 6'7", 230, looks the part, out of Anaheim, hasn't played much football, not going to play football. <laughs> His senior year, evidently. I don't know. I mean, that's obviously a big sort of gamble, you know, bringing in a guy that has uh, really no experience and and. You know, why he's not playing football this year, I haven't gotten the whole story on that. I can't remember if you – I think you spoke to him, though, after the camp uh, in Mission Viejo, correct? Or was that Shotgun that spoke to him? Collins, yes. I spoke to Collins. I waited what felt like two hours because everyone wanted to talk to him. Everyone. And in that and in that wait, you developed such a great amount of questions that you now know everything about him. What village does he come from? <laughs> I actually don't know which village he comes from because I only got five questions with, with him because the guy came over 
I was very annoyed about this, and I guess we're just going to talk about it right now. Let's talk but, about it. Let's get it out. Look, there was – I understand. He's uh, an intriguing prospect. He's gotten a bunch of offers. A lot of USC media there, so a lot of USC people want to interview him. A lot of national media want to interview him. There was at least three national writers that wanted to interview him. So I was fine to wait at the back of the line to be last. Didn't matter to me. We had people there to shoot. I was off getting other people to talk to. And, you know, people ran long with their questions. Some people were just asking 30,000 questions and – uh, we had a uh, one of the Under Armour guys come over and he was like checking in on Collins because he had legitimately legitimately been there for like 45 minutes doing interviews. And the guy was like, hey, I'm just trying to like check up on him, see if he's OK. You know, he's been over here a long time. So I get that. I understand. Um, so I was like, Collins, I know you've been here for like three hours. Just give me five questions and I'm done and I'm out and we're good. So I only got him for five questions. Really well-spoken kid. I think I've mentioned that. But, yeah, I was a little annoyed that, you know, when there's a long line or whatever, you know, just keep it shorter than usual. Don't do not do 90,000 questions. Well, that's because it's, you know, about the writer sometimes and not about the kid or what the questions actually are. <laughs> it's more about me and me. But with that tight end position, I mean, that is definitely a bit of uh, an interesting position to look at just because there's obviously confidence there that USC is doing well with some of their top guys because you would see more offers. That's a position you can throw some offers at. You know, there's some other guys out there, even locally, there's some players out there that you could offer on the West Coast, and USC hasn't done that. Now, one other potential prospect at the tight end position and I'll, I'll create a, a segue for you here because I, I know I'm so good at doing that for you. Uh, Nicholas Harbor, who we spoke to over the weekend, is a potential tight end prospect at, you know, 6'5", 225. And, you know, the guy only runs a 10, 2, 8. <laughs> We're talking about uh, Quentin Joyner. It's, it's okay. It's We're okay. Quentin Joyner. I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm throwing Quentin Joyner under the bus there. God bless the kid. But, you know, he's running a 10, 9, 9, 190 pounds at 5'9". <laughs> And you've got Nicholas Harbor, who's got an actual legitimate laser time 10 to 8. Insane. Which is insane, ridiculous. I mean, you know, maybe he's not really, really 6'5", but still, Hussein Bolt was a 6'3". And, uh, I don't Nicholas know, Hussein Bolt looks 6'5". That dude was On long. his way to being a track star. So we talk about Deuce Robinson being a potential baseball player in college or, or maybe just skipping and going right to the minor leagues. Um, shotgun could opine on that better than I can, but Nicholas Harbor could be a guy that legitimately decides, you know, I'm gonna go with paid to go run track in Europe and maybe I'll come back and play football. If that doesn't work out, um, that's a very intriguing prospect as well as a tight end. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of options with that. And I feel like, I, I'm glad we're talking about the tight ends. As a former tight end myself, tight ends need love. And I think like wide receiver recruiting, tight end recruiting, as you've mentioned, I don't think there's a lot of worry there. There's confidence because of what this offense produces with tight ends. And I would expect a nice little show out there by the tight end unit with Robinson, 
out there, you know, watching that. He's probably going to stop by uh, the baseball field. I think they're playing Utah this weekend. So a lot of opportunity for him to check out both sports. So are we good? So are we going to segue into Harbor? Or yeah, do you want to segue to Harbor? Do you want to take a break? Do you want to go to Crystal Ball Watch? I'll give you those three options. Hmm. You set up the you set up the Harbor thing. Well, I think we could you know just sail right into that. Yeah. So let's take a break. Okay. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about five star athlete Nicholas Harbor. We're going to go to, into our Crystal, the unofficial Crystal Ball Watch segment, and then we're going to talk about some official visits. That have been locked in. Uh, just going to touch on those. And then we'll get to some listener questions. Sound good, Gerard? Sounds good. All right, let's take a quick break. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Gerard, how was that break? It was wonderful, as always. The... Do do the do the breaks keep getting better every week? Every like week, they keep every week they keep getting they keep surpassing. They're just stacking up, stacking up, stacking up those little wins. Um, so yeah, USC had a big uh, DMV visitor uh, come in last week. Uh, Five star athlete Nicholas Harbor uh, out of Archbishop Carroll in Washington D.C. Um, I believe he's number 16 nationally, number two athlete, the number one prospect out of DC. As you mentioned, six foot five, 225 pounds. He was in town for the Mount Sac relays that was happening on Saturday. USC was able to get him on campus on Thursday, took the visit with a teammate, his track coach and his father. Um, so just a small, you know, kind of intimate visit. They got there in the morning, left in the afternoon. By all accounts, it did well. Um, and very quickly, I just want to shout out our recruiting intern, Jared Perez, who went down to Mount Sac on Saturday and he got an interview with Nicholas Harbor. He bagged his first five star interview, Gerard. And I just want to give him, you know, a little bit of applause for that very quickly. Look at that. I got that sound up. 
So shout out to Jarrett, who's I'm like would bet money that he's listening to this podcast at some point. So he went out and got that that interview, a crucial interview. And Gerard, you were able to put that up. Yeah, did a great job, and uh, we got a little bit from Nicholas on his visit to Los Angeles and his visit to L.A. And I think you know he enjoyed the visit to the West Coast, and he was having a great time at the replays. I mean, you run a, a PR at a, a prestigious event like that. Um, I think it was a, a really good weekend for him. Now, he was not committal on whether he's going to take an official visit to USC. Um, it, it sounded like they did a good job and, and that there's potential there. And you have to think that maybe there's some Caleb Williams link there and, and he helps USC to some extent being a former DC guy and there's some connection there. And we talk about NIL and I would say that Nicholas Harbor is one of those guys that is going to be in line for a good NIL. Now he is articulate. He's a smart kid. Um, he's obviously uh, doing well in two different sports. So this also conveys also to Deuce Robinson as well. Although I haven't talked to Deuce Robinson, um, and 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 I don't really know personality wise uh, where he stands. Um, but I've heard good things about him, and I think that potentially another guy that when you're talking about NIL and these companies trying to further their investment with the exposure of these athletes, um, certainly with Harbor, and you get a lot for that. And a position that could end up being a premium position, maybe not. We'll see if that money from NIL can compete with the track money. But potential tight end, potential defensive end. Now, we did see a guy like this that had this kind of speed come out of high school not too long ago, and that was Jadavion Clowney. Jadavion Clowney, at 265, was running a legit 10-4, 10-5. He was a relay guy. Scary. So so that kind of speed does exist out there. It is scary. It is crazy. And and when you put that on an edge rusher, um, that's that's a whole lot, you know. And and Clowney didn't have, I think, the pro career that a lot of people thought he would. Um, I think he was a bit more dominant in college. Uh, He wasn't bad as a pro. But he wasn't necessarily Lawrence Taylor, you know, right. so it does go to tell you that, you know, it's not all about just the numbers physically. It's not just he runs this fast and he's this tall and this big. There's other things that come in to play uh, as a pass rusher. But that's a position that certainly, you know, you put your hand on the ground, watch the ball and boom, go play, go get the quarterback. Uh, so there's a lot less to it than some of these other positions. Uh, raw athleticism is something that really goes far for an edge rusher. Uh, but on the flip side, get the sense to me that Harvard kind of likes to play offense and kind of wants to play offense because he did mention, you know, when asked about what's their vision for you, what position do they want you to play? USC was noncommittal about that. Doesn't sound like they went into any great detail with him about where they would play him. So there's just sort of, you know, putting that athlete tag on him. But I think I got the sense from how he answered that question that he interjected, I run 10 too. So, you know, hybrid tight end would be a good position um, just because of my speed and my height and my size. Now you got to be able to catch the ball and being a natural pass catcher. Uh, that's a big deal for being a tight end or a receiver. 
So we don't know as much about that with him. Have to watch a little more film. Want to see him a little more recently. See how he's developed that. Obviously, if you're running track, you don't get that offseason to do a bunch of seven-on-seven. Seven, and maybe that's the one positive from all the seven-on-seven seven that these kids play is that if you're a receiver or you're a quarterback, you get to really polish that bit of your craft. And that's very important is catching the ball for a receiver. There's a lot of really good athletes out there that can't catch the ball. And that is a huge deal. So, you know, whether he's able to play tight end at the next level, I think that is more about, you know, how does he catch the ball? Certainly, I think his raw athleticism, he could put his hand down and be a great pass rusher. But this is a player that USC has a shot at. Now, because he didn't come away and say, yeah, I think USC is my leader or say anything that was overtly sort of a wink and a nod. You got the feeling like, okay, USC made a huge move with him. I just think USC is in a, a, a decent position to get an official visit. He could, he could turn around and put out a top five tomorrow and USC not be in it. And it wouldn't shock me, but I do think that USC has some angles there. And, um, I mean, you know, DC better than I do, obviously. Um, Archbishop Carroll, that sort of area in terms of the kids they pull. What's the makeup of that? Do you think that that's an area that USC can do well at? in terms of just profiling prospects. Yes, because it it seemed like Lincoln Riley had always done a good job of recruiting the DMV and that DC that DC area when he was at when he was at Oklahoma, excuse me. And Harbor, if you kind of looked early sort of like 6 months ago when uh Lincoln first came over, you know, Oklahoma was considered the sort of quote unquote warm program for Harbor. So there was already this established relationship, which is why he was one of the guys early when, you know, Lincoln made the move. It's like, Hey, this is a guy that USC should be a real player for, uh, coming to the, the West Coast. And Caleb Williams had mentioned this, uh, about two weeks ago about how he, is a city guy, you know, guys that, the, the guys that grow up in DC in that area, you know, they're used to the city. They're, they're comfortable in those city environments. Uh, that might play well, you know, maybe guys that want to get away from the city, you know, like a Norman, Oklahoma or, you know, a happy Valley like Penn state. But I have found that most city guys, you know, that grew up in that area and I've had multiple DMV players kind of talk about how, they like California. They like the vibe. You know, Colin Mobley talked about that. You know, he is from uh, a school in that area, you know, DeMatha, my, my alma mater. He's from the D.C. area. And he kind of he talked about that. He he really liked uh, the vibe of, of L.A. And we had remember uh, Malachi Salahuddin, uh, I believe he he was in that area, too. I'm blanking on the school right now, uh, but he he also mentioned that, you know, coming from the area that he came from. DC, the California was totally different and they were so drawn to that. So I, I can absolutely see why Harbor or just any guy from the DC area would feel comfortable and really be intrigued by SoCal because it does have that city vibe, but it's just so much, it's just so different. You know, in DC, there's a lot of cold, there's a lot of rainy, there's a lot of you know, hot summers and stuff, but it's still a city and it, it definitely feels like a city, but you get that element of this, of being a city life 
in LA. You get that, but you don't, you don't get the rain. You don't get the weather. You do get the traffic, but you get at least sunny skies. So there's a reason why DC guys like the LA vibe. You know, that's, it's just what they do. They have DC DMV guys. They have big personalities. And I think that's why it works so well with that, that LA lifestyle. So, you know, I think, I think it's a, I think it could be a, a good match. And I think it, it is something to think about, you know, a guy who, who is coming from that area and how, even though it's across the country, you know, I think, I think guys from that area and are generally just attracted to what LA has to offer outside of football. Yeah. So you get most of the good and not a lot of the bad. You know, it's, uh, similar from a city and pace of life standpoint, but yeah, you don't have the weather and, some of the other things that you have to deal with in D.C. Uh, New Jersey seems to be another part of the country where USC could recruit really well. They seem to get a lot of traction with some of the top players from that area. And um, I mentioned before, you know, Brian Doan always talks about how much players in New Jersey and the New York area love USC. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily true of all the West Coast, because I think in Virginia, USC has not had a lot of luck recruiting Virginia. Virginia may be a little different. You know, there's obviously areas of Virginia that are that are a little more rural and, and probably just a little different than L.A. Yeah, definitely more rural, kind of like very colonial kind of in a way. It's not yeah. like big city at all. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like New Jersey and maybe D.C. are two places that USC could make some waves at if they can win some games and they could start to recruit nationally again. And, you know, with Oklahoma, I don't know how much of that was Jamar Kane because he was a big part, it seemed like, in the commitments recently that Oklahoma was getting from that area. And obviously, you know, USC tried to bring him in as a defensive line coach, but LSU swooped in and made him a defensive coordinator. So he's at LSU now. Uh, or how much it was Lincoln Riley and it was just the coaching staff, if there's some other connections there. Because I don't know if Jamar Kane really had any connections to the D.C. area. I don't know who on the current staff has connections to the D.C. area, or if it's just one of those things that you're literally going into the area and it's just kids being interested in USC because it's USC. So, yeah, that's something that I think with Harbor, um, you know, it could be an angle. Like I said, I kind of wouldn't be surprised if maybe USC didn't get an official visit and there's some other schools there that have been working behind the scenes to keep him closer to home, but at the same time, I think there's a good chance that they do to get that official visit and when he wants to commit and how that shakes out. He didn't really have a timeline per se. I kind of get the sense maybe it goes a little longer than with some of the other recruits because I just think he's that big of a name. I mean, he's a, he's a kid that's literally got some viral videos just based on his hundred meter times. And I think that sort of stardom, um, the, the journey that he's making has been well documented. If you look at his Instagram, uh, he has a lot of professional photos taken of him at some of these events. So he's got a little bit of an entourage and some people that are around him. And sometimes that definitely prolongs the process a bit because they want to make sure that they see everything and they take their time as opposed to the kid in the family that just wants to get it over the summer because they want to focus on their senior seats. Absolutely. I mean, the kid has 44 offers. So, and that's not even factoring like the track, like the track stardom and potential there. And we actually have a question, uh, that centers around 
uh, Harbor and his track stuff. So I think we're just going to transition with this question into listener questions, and then we're going to jump back to another topic, uh, crystal ball stock market, as I'm, I just made that up. I just want to go with that. So let's get into some questions, then we'll go into crystal ball. Okay. Okay. Uh, this comes from Eric in Duck Country, who always sends us questions. So, and again, if you want to ask us some questions that we'll talk about on this podcast, you can, uh, send us an email at, uh, I'm blanking on the email right now. Here we go. Podcast at uscfootball.com. Uh, that holds all the questions for every podcast on the Parasol Podcast Network. So just make sure <laughs> you put two star. Uh, recruits or Chris and Gerard or those Latino guys, whatever you want to do, just make sure you send it, you say it's for us and this podcast and we'll throw into our queue for the next show. So Eric and Duck Country, he asks, great recap on the Nicholas Harbor visit. Do you think track and field plays a role in his recruitment? And if that's the case, does it give USC an edge? Thanks. He did meet the track staff when he was at USC, which is a big deal because that right. hasn't happened with every recruit that's also been looking at track. So it was really good for him to get uh, that exposure. And he spoke glowingly of uh, the visit and meeting those track coaches. And um, that's going to be a big deal. I mean, we're talking about a guy that the question has been asked, do you go professionally in track, which, right. you know, I'm not a track guy to the point where I can answer that question, you know, how fast he's actually running and how fast do you have to run before you can actually consider that. But certainly his size makes him uh, a bit of a unique sort of oddity from that standpoint. And again, that's brand building and people can uh, really rally behind that. And so track will definitely be, apart if he goes to college, his two-sport endeavors. Uh, he's not going to give that up right away. Now, maybe, you know, later down the line, and they start talking about, you know, his draft status as a football player, you know, that's when you sort of have to make that decision. Um, but uh, does it give USC an edge? I think it does. I think it helps. There's definitely tradition there. There's tradition just in the coaching staff. Quincy Watts, former Olympian, now the head coach there. So, you know, that, that is a pretty big boost, I think, for, for selling that track, that track program to him. Yeah. Carmelita uh, Jetter was, was someone that he mentioned specifically as being sort of an awe at. Um, and, and she coaches sprints. And so he's got some background and certainly I think, you know, being there with his dad, uh, they have some appreciation for, for history, I think, when it comes to track. And so, you know, it, it was, it's, it's definitely an additive. I, I don't know how much of a factor it is, even though I know he's going to run track in college. If he goes to college, he's running track a hundred percent. So it is a factor. It's just, you know, how does it weigh with football and leaving home? So on and so forth. Pretty guarded about that. You know, he's, he, he's open to saying, Hey, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go or, you know, the, the, I have the best fit and I feel the most comfortable, so on and so forth. And and I love the coaching staff at USC, both the football staff, and I was really impressed with the track staff. So it all sounds good, you know, on paper, but, you know, behind the scenes, what's really going on? And, and is there, you know, other factors at play that will keep him closer to home 
or other things that he's looking for. Um, he didn't say anything about, you know, USC was great because it was in the city. You know, he didn't say it had that city vibe and I want to go to a school that's in the city. He didn't say anything like that. There were no deductive answers from uh, his interview uh, in a lot of cases, you know, and you're kind of looking for those type of things to say, okay, well, you said this, so this means the other thing. Uh, he's pretty noncommittal about a lot of things right now in his recruitment. That's what gives me the sense that this could go on um, and it's not going to be done uh, before uh, the start of his senior year. Um, so we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely an advantage. It's definitely something that helps USC and the fact that USC was uh, made sure that he got in front of the track coaches and the track coaches were there uh, to be able to host him and talk to him a little bit, I think was, uh, was definitely a big deal. D from Central California sort of has two questions. Uh, due to NIL, I'm not as confident that USC is going to side wide receivers Brandon Ittis and DeAndre Moore. Is USC going after any other wide receivers other than those two? And the second question is, do you think USC is going to see Saturday's ESPN game, is going to use Saturday's ESPN game, ESPN game to give the green light to a silent commit? Thank you. That's from D. Um, off the top from the, the top part of that question, I feel like Hakeem Williams is the, the big one, the other wide receiver, but it does not seem like they're heavily involved with anyone else outside of Ennis, Moore, and then Hakeem, who we've talked about on our debut episode. Yeah, I think, you know, there are some options potentially there at wide receiver. Uh, how the offense plays can open up further options. Uh, wide receiver is not a position that you really worry about too much. Just with the recent history of USC, even with the past coaching staff and the offense, and then transitioning. Now, granted, USC had not recruited receivers well uh, the past eh, two years. They really hadn't done a good job uh, being able to compete with even Oregon, who didn't pass the ball very well, wasn't a pass offense, has no real tradition of good receivers. And they were just killing USC on the recruiting trail, getting top receivers. Um, but USC has been able to grab some guys from the portal. So you supplement that and they're quality players. I mean, you get a guy like Mario Williams, who's, you know, day one starter. Uh, you know, Taj Washington is, I think, a guy that could be a breakout player for them. I think he was a great pickup last year for USC. You've got some talent there at, at the receiver position. So it's one of those things that with, the bevy of players locally that you're going to have, even though USC struck out on those players in the past, I think Dennis Simmons is going to be able to get his guys. I think that's going to change. I think that's going to be one of the big pivots in terms of recruiting who they're going to be able to get. And the fact that they closed with Zachariah Branch as, close, as quickly as they did kind of shows that to some extent. Um, I think they're back in it very much for DeAndre Moore. Again, Louisville is in there and Louisville's gotten a couple commitments from out West. So they're doing some things. And I think a lot of that has to do with NIL, but you know, I think USC looks at more uh, at the top of their list. And, and I think that it's a matter of, you know, how hard do they want to recruit him? And I think at this point that they have shown that they really want to recruit him and want to make him a priority target for them. You mentioned Heike Williams. I think in terms of talent, he's definitely, one of those outliers of, of a guy that, you know, you try to go after and you try to make it work with him. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. I don't think, uh, you know, USC has a, a necessarily a great shot at him. Um, but 
he is very intrigued by LA and he's very intrigued by USC. It's just a matter of, can you get him out of Florida? You know, all those Florida schools, you've got Mario Cristobal there at Miami and you saw how he recruited at uh, Oregon. Um, you see that you, uh, now you've got Florida and you've got Billy Napier there. They're going to try to make some moves. It's interesting because they bring over Kerry Colbert from USC as a receivers coach. So, you know, Kerry Colbert just wasn't getting guys. He wasn't developing a lot of good options when he was at USC the past couple of years. And I don't know if he was just mailing it in because he knew, you know, that, that coaching staff's uh, fate <laughs> was sort of at an end. But we just did not see them do a good job recruiting the local players and even years where you had multiple guys that are missing out on multiple guys. We'll see what he does at Florida. You know, he's, he's obviously they've got to pick it up, but that's a new coaching staff. And so they want to make waves, you know, they want to, uh, they want to make uh, that sort of, um, I, I, I guess they want those signature wins on the recruiting trail. And so you're going to really have to put that effort into it. And Florida State, that coaching staff, they, they recruit well. They've played bad, and they haven't been very good on the field. Uh, but that's a good recruiting staff. And, you know, they're going to be on the hot seat pretty soon. So you're going to see, you know, again, I, I hate bringing it up all the time, but NIL will bring together some desperation as well. And so I think, you know, the Florida schools, there's just going to be a lot going on there. Um, we'll see if any of those schools sort of um, – eliminate themselves with how they play on the field and we'll see if USC can prop themselves up with how they play on the field at the receiver position uh, but you do have guys like Malachi Riley who's a local player that you know USC's kind of really ignored as of late Jeremiah McClure another guy that this coaching staff hasn't really recruited really hard but a very good player a guy that's got good speed and is, and is a good solid player and uh, I know some other Pac-12 schools are very high on him um, LeVon Brown is another guy. Now he's going to be up, I think, at Sierra Canyon, moving from Las Vegas. He was one of the top performers at one of the recent camps that we covered. Um, a, a pretty dynamic 6'1", 180-pound wide receiver. So, you know, there's some potential guys there that USC can recruit um, that they haven't because they've sort of zoned in at the top of the list and, and probably feel pretty confident about some of those guys. You know, will they get Brandon Enos? I think it's a bit more of a question the further out he gets away from his unofficial visit to USC. Uh, like I said, I was told even before he was done with that unofficial visit, he was going to be back on another unofficial visit before an official visit during the summer. Uh, I don't have any information on that being scheduled yet. We'll see if, if that happens. He kind of denied it and said, no, nah, the next time I'm here, I'll be on an official visit. So we'll see how that shakes out. You know, if it's one of those things where, I've got sources telling me he's going to be back out here, but he's telling the media he's not going to be. But he does come back out. It's a little bit of a, okay, he's trying to kind of play down his interest in USC. But, but if he doesn't make it back out, then you go, all right, actually speak a lot on the words. He's not coming back out to his official visit. So USC's still battling there with Ohio State and with Alabama. And Alabama has actually been the school that keeps coming up as a school that um, likes him a lot, and they tend to get the guys that they want specifically out of Florida. They've had a lot of success recruiting wide receivers out of Florida. Um, but, you know, you can make the argument DeAndre Moore is just as athletic and, and maybe a, a better prospect for USC uh, if it's either or, or if, you know, they feel like they don't have another guy that they're really that high on that they bring in at, the, at that receiver position that they could just end it at Branch, Moore, and Makai Lemon. And that's three receivers in that class. And that's three really good receivers. And and I take Zach Branch 
all day long if you're trading him with Innis in terms of what you have in that group and what you what you would would need if you've got Lemon and you've got more. Yeah, Branch is the different type of receiver out of that group more so than Brandon Innis is. So you know, Branch is the guy that specifically with that type of offense that USC is going to run, and even the offense that USC had run when you're spreading the field. A guy like Zachariah Branch is, you know, a legitimate, you know, 10-3 guy, uh, strong. Uh, he got his brother right in the team. Just a really good football player, a dynamic football player. You definitely want to take him. He's uh, the number one ranked receiver in the 2023 class right now. So, yeah, um, I think if that ends up being the three that they get, and that's definitely three players that they have a very good shot at getting, uh, I think you can call it a day. You know, if you really need – more numbers, you can go into the portal because it's shown that USC has been able to stack uh, receiver talent out of the portal. Who wins in 100, Nicholas Harbour or Zachariah Branch? Oh, I'd have to say Nicholas because, I mean, he's running 10-2 at, at legitimate races. These are not like local district races <laughs> <laughs> where you had got wind and nobody reports it or, you know, they didn't, they, they, it was a 98 meter yard, da- uh, uh, 98 meter dash. It wasn't a hundred meter dash. This was Mount Sac relays. This is a, this is a national, uh, prestigious event. And, uh, he ran a 10 to eight PR. So with, the, with an off start, if you had a cleaner start too. It, yeah, uh, you don't, you, you take him. Um, you know, maybe Branch could get there if he really focused on track more. Cause he really, he, he's done some AAU stuff, but he actually said that, you know, his dad wasn't going to be involved so much with the, the track team this offseason. So he might not run track this offseason. So, um, yeah, it, 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 and like, you know, we kind of laughed and talked, uh, I think it was not last week, but maybe the week before DeAndre Moore was having that conversation with uh, Zach Branch and uh, Roderick Pleasant. And we were standing there and we were, we're watching uh, DeAndre. I, don't know, I think DeAndre was, was, was playing at that point. And Zach was not in. And uh, Roderick's team had already lost. So Roderick's sitting there eating Pringles. You know, we're, we're talking and then Zach comes over and we're just chatting away. And DeAndre kept coming by, kept talking about, you guys really think you're that much faster than me, huh? You think you're faster than me, huh? I, man, I'm telling you, I can run 10-4. I'm telling you I can run 10-4. And I'm thinking, Roderick, you're like a 10-2 guy though, right? Like, <laughs> and you want to run 10-1. So, I mean, you're admitting that you're not as fast as the other guy saying you run 10-4. 10-4 is awesome. And you look at, you know, DeAndre Moore is six foot, 190, 195 pounds. Like he's, you know, a little bit bigger than those guys as well. So if DeAndre Moore can run 10-4, uh, from what we've seen from him as a receiver when he's healthy, uh, he's a pretty dynamic player. And then all the talk about him maybe playing cornerback or safety is, I think it's out the window. And I think that's kind of sort of what happened on his unofficial visit when he came down. He hung out with Dennis Simmons and he hung out with the offense and the receivers almost exclusively. So, yeah, you know, I mean, Dante's a dog recruiter. And I think if there was like some serious, like, we really think he can play corner and that's going to be the position that he plays and is going to be his, you know, his, 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 his ultimate position. I think the De- Deontay would have been more uh, involved in that uh, recruitment that day, having him on campus, but Dante kind of backed off a bit and let Dennis Simmons really work. And I think that's ultimately sort of where uh, if he goes to USC, he's coming in as a receiver mostly. And just for me to just touch on that final part of the question, is USC going to use Saturday's ESPN 
ESPN game to give a green light on a silent commit. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I would not be shocked if there was a commitment that came out of the spring game. Obviously, they'll have a lot of kids on campus. A lot of kids have taken visits this spring to other schools, so they've seen a bunch of places. Maybe some are ready to, you know, go ahead and give that verbal commitment. If the crowd's good, it's going to be an electric atmosphere, especially if the offense and both sides of the ball are making plays. You know, there's a lot more boosting of, you know, confidence for recruits, you know, maybe being sold a little more. So I would not be surprised if there were some commitments that came out of Saturday. You, the Uh, fans, can actually have an impact. Get down to the Coliseum. It's free. Make make it an atmosphere. There you go. Uh, Dave from Kuday, California? Kuday? I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, there was a poll last week on uscfootball.com. The poll question was, who will be the first 2023 defensive player to verbally commit to USC? Seems like a lot of the answers went to Braxton Myers and Dalen Austin. In your opinion, who do you think will be the first verbal defensive commitment? I actually commented on this thread, I believe, and I threw out Malachi Crawford, the Pacifica Oxnard uh, four-star cornerback, uh, former UCLA commit. Um, just because, you know, he's been on campus a lot and he seems to be really, really involved with USC. He likes them a lot. USC is recruiting him hard. Alex Grinch, Dante Williams, they want him to play that, that sort of versatile defensive back that can play quarterback, maybe play nickel, move to, to back end safety, just be a chess piece all over the field. And, you know, that's appealing to, to a defensive back who wants to be utilized. And, you know, he told me he's probably, he's not going to rush into a commitment. You know, he committed kind of early to UCLA. Um, but, you know, I think Dante Williams, I don't, I don't bet against Dante Williams. I don't like to bet against Dante Williams. And, you know, we know he's a very good recruiter when it comes to recruiting local, local defensive backs. So I would not be shocked if, you know, Crawford kind of made another early commitment and this time it was to USC. So, Crawford's my pick or my guess. Yeah, that's not a bad guess. I mean, I can see that. Um, the thing that would make me hesitant is the fact that he committed early to UCLA and he talks in detail about how he doesn't want to make a mistake like that again. He doesn't want to commit too early. And so I, I feel like he's going to want to wait till summer. Like he has sort of an arbitrary time, even though he says he doesn't. I almost feel like in the back of his head that he kind of has a point in time where he says, I don't want to make that decision until at least I take my official visits. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a guy that could potentially get there. Dalen Austin, maybe. I think Dalen's having fun with the recruiting process. Still. Absolutely. Uh, granted, Dylan Williams, Dylan Williams, the 2024 linebacker that committed you know, told me he wanted to go through the process and he wanted to take more visits and he wanted to do this and wanted to do that before he was going to make a decision and admitted to me. It's like, yeah, I mean, USC is my favorite. Like I, I, I feel like I could commit to USC, but I don't want to jump on it too soon. And, but then he did, he did, he committed. <laughs> it's like last week. So you just never know like what it, what it is, you know, they get to the, to the practice or, or that day or whatever. And they just get caught up in it and, you know, they, they jump on. The bandwagon. I mean, Victory Johnson is another player, the 6'4", 230-pound linebacker, um, three-star out of San Diego, um, Cathedral Catholic, player that's been to USC a bunch. We know USC likes him a bunch. Uh, There was sort of a question as to, you know, like, 
the linebacker position, you know, how is that sort of um, playing out? You know, that's a position where they've thrown some offers out there to some local players, like it's like a low key sort of, you know, David Peavy is 6'4", 230 pound linebacker from San Diego as well. Um, they have an, a, another uh, local linebacker that they've uh, offered scholarship to with not in, I mean, like the last couple of months, I think he was offered just like earlier this month was Isaiah Chisholm uh, out of uh, Chatsworth, another Sierra Canyon kid, 6'1", 220 pounds. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys like that, which you could see maybe USC sort of holding off until a particular point in time where, you know, it creates some some sort of momentum to have them commit. And so I, I could see more than one commit, you know, even from the 2023 class. Um, certainly we could see some commits from 2024 as well. It's just depending on, you know, how much the coaching staff wants to push it. You know, how much do they want to push uh, some of these guys? I mean, Blake Nicholson, like what happens with him? Maybe he's a guy that USC, you know, wants to really push. He took an unofficial visit to USC a couple of weeks ago. Another local linebacker. Like the thing that I like about what Brian Odom has done and uh, to some extent Roy Manning, although Roy Manning I think is a lot more involved nationally with guys on the edge. It seems like Brian Odom is finding some guys locally to off, you know, de- developing and cultivating options that you have that are realistic. Yes, they love Tackett Curtis, but they want to get Tackett Curtis committed. He's their number one guy on their board. Um, I think uh, Leona uh, Lafua or uh, Lifu, excuse me, I always see his name and I, I don't, I, I want to pronounce it differently than it is, um, is a guy that potentially uh, they could, you know, try to make a little more of a push with and they could get, I think. Uh, but I think um, the fact that they have some guys here, not just on the West Coast, but locally, uh, that's a big deal. You know, that really helps them, um, you know, have some good quality players and you're not just putting your eggs in a couple baskets and you don't get those guys. And then, you know, September, October rolls around. You're like, uh, do you want to come down for an unofficial visit? Yeah, we know that you already committed to wherever. Um, but we need you to come in now because, you know, now we're going to recruit you because you're our plan B or our plan C. And, and that, you know, USC can do that. Don't get me wrong. USC can do that if they're winning games. Like if you're not winning games, you're, you're going to struggle to, to try to get guys away from even Oregon state or Utah. If you're winning games, then you can do that. You can say, okay, we're going to go after plan A. Plan A doesn't work. Then we'll come back to these other kids locally and we'll bring them in for some games and then we'll recruit them hard and we'll flip them from what other school they commit to over the summer. But when you're winning, you know, seven games or eight games uh, and USC, obviously every year they claiming confident, even with Clay Elton, that they were going to win eight, nine games at least, you know, I, I had those conversations like, Oh, we're going to, you know, we can't wait for the season. We're going to win, you know, we're going to win the pack 12 next year. And so when you have that confidence, then you recruit off of that confidence. And, and when you don't win those games, it's like, holy crap, we, we only signed, you know, 12 guys because why? Because you didn't offer a whole bunch of guys until, you know, late in the summer. And, and some of those kids are already committed or they already built those relationships with. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few local guys that potentially could, could be there, you know, I mean, Crawford. Yeah. I think victory Johnson is a, is a potential guy. Um, you know, maybe one of these other linebackers that pop up uh, that are local players, um, they could end up being, uh, those guys, any like big national names, like a Deuce Robinson, does he come down and does he commit? Probably not. I mean, I, I, you know, I think if he comes down, he commits, it's a silent commitment. I think at that point, and then he goes and, 
maybe goes through the process a little longer before he decides, okay, I'm going to, uh, you know, set up an announcement or something here going into the summer. But I wouldn't expect that. I wouldn't expect any like, you know, Ruben Owens or anybody of that nature um, to make a, a, a big uh, silent commitment or excuse me, a, a public commitment coming away from the spring game. I think that's probably going to be maybe more the 2024 guys um, or it's going to be one of the guys that's, um, you know, sort of uh, that lower sort of four-star type of guy that would just want to do it and not necessarily, you know, have a big announcement and set it up and do all that stuff. Because that's the other aspect of it. Nowadays with public commitments is you have public announcements. They're not just commitments anymore. It's not just, you know, we get word, Hey, somebody's going to commit and you know, we write the story. It's or, or it goes up on Twitter right away. A lot of times there's this whole other announcement going on. The Quinn joiners of the world, quite frankly, that's uh, more of a rarity these days um, with those sort of high end four star guys. This question is for Gerard and Chrissy T. I apologize because I do not have who sent it, but I was wondering how these kids from non powerhouse schools or states get noticed by big schools. Do they have to show up to as many camps and tournaments as possible? Plus, what effect does it have on their recruitment if a notable school offers? Will other schools automatically start paying more attention? Uh, to the second part, yes. You know, we've seen in the process where, you know, one school will jump on this unranked offensive lineman out of Texas that no one's really ever heard of, you know, and then suddenly they pick up you know, six power five offers in the last couple of days. Uh, one, one example is that I don't, Gerard, I don't know if you remember him, but that, that, uh, that offensive lineman out of Texas, I think two years ago, I think his name was like Herb or something. He ended up going to Texas A&M. USC offered him very early in the process and then everyone jumped on him. So usually when a big school offers somebody a big power five or I guess any power five in general offers a kid, it's automatically going to bring other power five schools, especially in that, in their, in their conference um, to go and pull up that tape and see, Hey, why did Oregon offer this kid? Let's take a look. Or why did uh, Texas A&M offer this kid? What are they seeing? Let's, let's take a look for ourselves. And if we like it too, we'll, we'll pop on an offer as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, first and foremost, that's, become the way of scholarship offers and a strategy that's used in recruiting now more than ever to just get your foot in the door and make a good first impression. So scholarship offers really don't mean anything. They they, they really don't mean anything other than, Hey, we're recruiting you. You know, we like you. We saw something on film we like, and we're recruiting you. And whether that school maintains that recruitment and that relationship and connection Remains to be seen after that point. Um, we've seen scholarship offers used just to help uh, certain training outfits, you know, where a coach will be buddies with somebody that's uh, running a seven-on-seven organization or a training organization, and they'll throw an offer out there to a kid, and it just gets that sort of that, that organization on the radar, if you will, because other schools are going to take notice. Other schools are going to go, oh, at the very least, they're going to go, oh, okay, so who's this kid? that USC or Oregon or somebody just offered. USC may not continue to recruit that kid or talk to that kid ever again. After that day, I've, I've seen this happen. Um, not necessarily recently, but it's happened in the past. So scholarship offers are not the end-all, be-all when it comes to what your options really are. It's really about you know the amount of 
letter of intents that you have uh, at the end of the year. That's really what your options come down to or the schools that are actually going to bring you in on an official visit. That's when you know that the school is serious about a recruit. That's sort of the gauge anymore as to who they really want as opposed to who's just the guy that they're looking at. If this is like a parent that's looking at the exposure and how they can get their kid recruited, I would say huddle tape is important and going to the school camps is important. I think uh, the regional and national camps are great, but you're going to have a lot of good players there and you could potentially be overlooked. Um, when we go to, let's say, the Under Armour camp in Los Angeles, you've got numerous kids that are there that already have scholarship offers. We're there to cover those kids that have scholarship offers. Like there's numerous players there that we have to pay attention to because they have USC scholarship offers. That's a sign to us that USC is looking at those players. The players that do well, that don't have scholarship offers, if they play well enough, yeah, you notice them. But it's not necessarily like you go into that camp looking for them or concentrating on them. I think if you really want those eyes, you go to a college camp. So you go to the Rising Stars camp, you go to a college campus, and you do so early in your high school career if you can, and you get that relationship and you get some amount of face time. Maybe it's not a whole lot, but you at least get on the radar with that school, and then you back it up on the field with your huddle tape. We got a Twitter question. These are our last two uh, from my guy, Giovanni Darte. Duarte? Is Duarte Giovanni? Uh, who are the must-have recruits from the 2023 class that USC is actually in contention for? I don't remember what the piece I did was where I'm where I ha- where I take stock in who the most important recruits are uh, at any given point. I got to do one, probably do one after spring. But number one on that list, the first time I did it was Francis Maoyoga, the IMG offensive tackle, five-star offensive lineman. We've talked about him multiple times on this show. USC is in a good spot with him. You know, I think that is the number, at least the number one must have for me. And this, if, if I'm, if I have to make the list, I think he's, he's there at the top. Okay. Is that being handed off to me now? What, what is my opinion on this? <laughs> Do you have a must, a must have? Is that or silence? Who, I mean, okay, Gerard, you talk now. Um, yeah, I think Malayaga is, is obviously high up there just because, you know, left tackle, lost Josh Connerly, haven't signed a franchise left tackle in forever, it seems. And so offensive line is, is, is huge. Um, you know, you've got Isaiah Robinson there. You've got Lucas Simmons there. Those three, I think, are at the top in terms of their ranking, their talent, their potential to come in and contribute early. So, you know, offensive line, need position. Those are the top players at that position that USC has potential um, to get on campus. In some instances, again, like with Francis Maliaga, where it's uh, Maliago, I should say, is uh, already been on campus and already taken an unofficial visit. And he's obviously very familiar with Southern California because he was uh, playing at San Bernardino St. Aquinas uh, a couple of years ago before he went to IMG. So definitely top of the list. Deuce Robinson, who we've already talked about. At tight end, Walker Lyons, uh, another 6'5", 225, tight end out of Folsom, number five ranked tight end nationally. He's up there. Nicholas Harbor is a guy that USC has a shot at, a legitimate shot at, 6'5", 225, just ran that 10 to 8, 100 meters. He's ranked the number two 
He's ranked the number two athlete in the nation. So he's behind Makai Lemon, uh, who is the number one ranked athlete in the nation by 24-7 sports. So that's a player that USC has a very good shot at. Um, that's a very good player. Uh, I, I guess you would say must-have. Um, at the receiver position, you know, is there a must-have? I don't know. I think that's maybe a little more of a question mark. But obviously they're recruiting Brandon Enos very hard and trying to get him out for another unofficial visit. He will officially visit USC in June. He'll probably be part of that June 16th group. Uh, DeAndre Moore, I think, is right up there with him. I think those are the really the guys that kind of jump off of the, the page a little bit when it comes to the receiver position and sort of what USC really wants and who is really interested in USC. We talked about uh, Ruben Owens, who's uh, you know still scheduled to take an unofficial visit this week to USC for the spring game. 5'11", 190-pound five-star, number one running back in the nation out of El Campo, Texas. Uh, Cedric Baxter, who's already been out here for an unofficial visit. He's going to be tough to get away from those Florida schools, but he's ranked the number two running back, 6'1", 225. So, again, a guy that's got a little more physicality to him. Um, they've got Quentin Joyner, who, you know, is really third on the list, you know, number eight running back in the nation, four-star. So he's already committed. Uh, Roderick Robinson is another guy that I think you would put on that list uh, just as a guy that USC really likes and a guy that really likes USC and somebody that, uh, you know, could be part of that running back uh, potential trifecta. You know, but certainly they want to get at least two running backs in this class. Defensive linemen, that's really the position that I think is a, just a, a real – sort of crapshoot as to, to who USC is going to be able to get on campus for official visits, first and foremost, and try to get some traction with. Um, it's not a group where anybody that's at the top of the list in terms of rankings jumps out at you immediately. Uh, the must-have guys, you know, the guys like David Hicks or James Smith or uh, Derek LeBanc, uh, those, those type of players, it's just going to be tough for USC to be able to pull them in. You know, you've got to get an official visit and you've got to, you know, make some type of waves on that official visit to really get in a position where you could say, okay, USC has a, leg- a legitimate shot at this player. You do have Cameron Brandt, who's a local player, 6'3", 260, out of Chatsworth, another Sierra Canyon kid. That Sierra Canyon team is going to be stacked. Uh, he's a player that USC offered, has a lot of potential, um, and they like him. Um, Amos Telele is another local player. Again, he's a three-star, 6'5", 230, uh, number 64 ranked defensive tackle in the nation out of Santa Clara. Uh, California, uh, a player that is a guy that USC seems to like a lot. And again, you got to have some big bodies. You got to have some defensive tackles. But at that position, the defensive line, the guys that got their hand in the ground, it's a little more of a crap shooting, certainly at the top of the list. There's none of those big five star, you know, top 10, top 247 national guys that I think USC uh, has a great shot at right now or is in this, you know, really good sort of lead position for. Um, there is at the Esh edge rusher position, Mateo Ungulale, who's 6'4", 265, 270. Um, he is an edge rusher. He's number, ranked number one in the nation as a, as a high four-star at St. John Bosco. USC's battling uh, national schools for him, but I think it's kind of USC and Oregon at the top of the list for him. We'll see where he pops up at, at what spring game this weekend, because he may not want to pop up at any spring game. He may try to make both. Uh, we've seen that with junior days where he's gone to USC in the morning and then he's gone to Oregon at night. So we'll see where he goes. Uh, Blake Purchase, who I'm still trying to get a hold of, is another player up there, 6'4", 210, another edge rusher type of guy that probably is a more of a, a linebacker type edge rusher. He's a guy that USC has been after really hard and really likes USC a lot. Out of Englewood, Colorado. Uh, um, I think for a time, USC was really on 
Jadavian Bradley, who six five two ten, uh, out of Missouri, uh, you know, was kind of looked like USC was maybe the lead school for him. Um, number four edge rusher in the nation, but USC sort of come back to the pack a bit. He had a great relationship with Jamar Kane. He has a very good relationship with the other coaches uh, when they were at Oklahoma, but he has not been able to come out here on an unofficial visit to USC yet. So uh, that sort of has to happen, you know, to feel like USC's back among those top schools. He's gotten some crystal balls. I think Tennessee is the school that's gotten some crystal balls recently with him. Um, and he seems to be a player that's sort of, I, I don't want to say that he's faded with USC yet, but I think having seen some other schools more recently, they're higher on the list. Um, we talked about Tackett Curtis, 6'2", 220 pound inside linebacker, uh, play safety in high school, but he's a four star at Amani, Louisiana. He's a guy that USC's after really hard. Uh, Leona Lefau, like I said before, is another guy out of Hawaii, 6'1", 210, that I think if USC really pushed it, I think they could probably get a commitment from him. Um, he's probably more of a will linebacker of Kahuku High School. Victory Johnson is another guy. You know, are there any must-gets out of the linebacker group? I think Curtis Tackett is really um, – or Tackett Curtis, excuse me, is is the guy that – sort of the national guy that, you know, you really want to get. Anthony Hill is also there, but I don't think – right now, USC doesn't have a great shot at Anthony Hill. Again, got to get him on an unofficial visit. Got to get him on campus before you can have – any kind of really good shot and any of these type of national guys. So I don't know if that's really true at the linebacker position. There's anybody that jumps out Um, at cornerback. You have Dalen Austin, who we talked about a little bit before. Roderick Pleasant is another guy, high track guy that USC is after really hard um, that uh, they have a very good shot at. I think those guys kind of jump off the list. Um, Is it, you know, must have knee type guys nationally. You know, you could probably argue Malik, uh, Malachi Crawford being there, you know, potentially is a guy that they have a good shot at that is, uh, you know, sort of on the cusp of being sort of a national guy. He's really more of a Pac-12, uh, target right now, but, you know, he's very intriguing. And a 6'3, 180 pounds, you know, that, and that can play corner is, is an intriguing prospect. Uh, at safety, Rex Myers, we talked about him earlier. He's going to be back in town out of Capel, Texas, uh, 6'1, 185 pounds, close about USC. Really likes Clemson though too, but definitely at the top of the list for USC and having been, uh, taking now, you know, he's got two unofficial visits. He's got an uncle that lives out here as well. He's very familiar with Southern California. I think that's a guy that's uh, sort of of that, you know, if we're talking about like 10 to Troy, he would be on that list. Christian Pierce also 6'2, 180 pound, uh, three star safety out of Ranch Fukumunga. I think he's grossly over underrated right now. Um, underrated, not overrated, but, uh, just kind of a strong safety type. Um, a guy that I, I think potentially could end up busting out and being more of a national prospect maybe, uh, here with the, with the, with the big senior season or if he popped up at a camp somewhere and does really well. Um, but I kind of think that those are the top two guys uh, at the safety position for USC. So if you want to just a gist of like the top guys at the top of the list that USC has a good shot at too, that would be sort of the, the, the general, uh, list that I would put in the top of my head. I feel like you literally just ran through the entire recruiting board with this one. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. There you, are definitely other guys to talk about. You, but that's, you r- that's, ran through a lot. That's at the top of the list. That's the guys that, um, you know, I think it, it, those guys mentioned if USC with the addition of, you know, grabbing a, a good defensive tackle there somewhere, if they can, you know, finagle away, have a great season and finagle away into one of those defensive linemen you know that uh that right now they're just kind of like on the outside looking in for i mean that would that would make for uh, a really really good class 
you know, I I don't know if I would go so far to say number one in the nation, but it would be top five class for sure. I'll give you a little bit of a break for this question. I'll, I'll handle the majority of it, but this comes from Jesus Sands, our final one. This one was submitted on Twitter. Just as a question, you guys talk about recruits on the podcast. How are the new coaches as recruiters, aside from Dante and Lincoln, who most people already know about, seems like that's almost more important than actual coaching with some recruits. Well, we've kind of touched on this in past podcasts, but uh, we've mentioned that Dennis Simmons is sort of an elite, elite recruiter. He is up there in terms of, you know, Dante Williams. He he has the capability to be up there as a top five recruiter in in terms of our, you know, 24-7 sports recruiter rankings. Dante Williams, like you just mentioned, he's up there as well. He's a top five recruiter. Lincoln, Gerard has mentioned it several times. He is a head coach that is also an elite recruiter, a guy who can you can give him several prospects on the board to go in and help with and almost be the primary guy for some guys. Uh, but the rest of the staff are good recruiters. You know, we have mentioned this. Lincoln brought in a staff that where if you're not going to recruit, you're not going to be on the staff. You know, Sean Nua has a good reputation when he was at Michigan. Roy Manning is a guy who can go out and make national offers and be involved in the recruitment. Alex Grinch, USC fans are probably still defensive coordinator recruiting uh, shy from when Clancy Pendergast was here. Grinch holds his own, and I've heard good things about Grinch, you know, working for some of their bigger defensive targets. Brian Odom, I think he's a little bit underrated as a recruiter. I've heard good things about him and his recruitment of a guy, you know, like uh, Tackett Curtis. Uh, so there's recruiters all over this field. I think everyone here, everyone on that staff, is is notable and has decent recruiting wins and can be a recruiter, uh, especially you know once USC starts picking up wins, they'll they're going to be much more effective in that in that regard. Kyle McDonald, we've talked about him in terms of you know he was the one that got USC back in the recruitment of Cedric Baxter. US, uh, Baxter left USC USC off his list, and that didn't stop uh, Coach McDonald from going after him and being aggressive and like I don't care that you left me off you left USC off their list. I'm going to recruit you just hard, just as hard and ended up getting Trojans back in. So they've got some guys who are relentless on the recruiting trail. Dante Williams and Dennis Simmons and Lincoln Riley are probably your top guys, your elite guys. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to add anything, Gerard, but they've got some guys on the staff. No, not much to add. I think, um, you know, we'll see how they work at USC and with next season. I know it's um, sort of putting off everything, but you do want to see, you know, how they're able to develop on the field. You know, what is that win mark and how can they rally around that win mark and show that the program trajectory is headed upward and that, um, you know, these kids have something excited to be about with USC football, you know, and, and, and want to be a part of that. And so, that's going to be interesting. You know, I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding. You know, the guys that, that get the commitments at the end of the day, you know, it's it's good to hear names dropped. It's good to hear uh, conversations sort of regurgitated by recruits when it comes to specific things. That's when you sort of know there's a buy-in there with that particular recruit. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's the guys like Dante Williams that just seem to get guys committed, and then there's guys that don't. And so, you know, it's great to come in second place and third place and be in the conversation. Uh, I think, you know, when you're in the conversation and you win games, that's when you can win some battles. Uh, but you've got to do both. 
those are all our questions, Gerard. We do have one more topic. Let's keep it a little bit quick. I know they're going to be fans are going to be yelling at me, but your internet is getting a little spotty and it's getting rough out here. So we're going to have to touch on this quickly. But we have crystal ball stock market is is what I'm calling it. I'm just I've just decided to call it that. Uh, but USC, I feel like we've talked about crystal balls for three consecutive uh, shows now. Uh, but USC has picked up a couple of crystal balls this week. The most notable one being from four five-star tight end, Deuce Robinson, who we've talked a lot about on this show, the number one tight end prospect. They picked up two crystal balls for him. I know Georgia is still a big factor. Blair Angulo, Blair Angulo, who covers that the Mountain West region, the Arizona region for us, he put that one in. So, you know, that's saying something when Blair makes a pick out there for an Arizona kid. And, you know, he mentioned that Georgia is still a big factor. Uh for Deuce, but he likes where the Trojans sit right now. That's a lot of good momentum, especially coming in for the spring game. And then Jason Mitchell II, a 2024 uh, prospect out of Sarah. His dad, Jason Mitchell, was a, a pretty good wide receiver uh, for the Trojans, so he is a legacy. USC was a dream school. Uh, Greg Biggins ended up putting in a crystal ball for him. USC has a little bit of momentum in that 2024 class having just got Dylan Williams uh, for for the for that 2024 cycle. So that could be a name that maybe, you know, we wouldn't be surprised. I don't think either of us would be if, you know, Jason Mitchell decided to go ahead and make a commitment. Uh, not saying that he is. I'm just saying we would not be shocked given his, you know, him being a legacy that is a dream school for him. He was at practice uh, last week. I saw him on campus. He was taking in practice with his dad and a couple of Sarah guys. So some good momentum with those two crystal balls. Yeah, indeed. Um, we'll see, you know, what happens with Deuce Robinson, obviously. You know, we've seen those crystal balls change quickly. You know, Dylan Royola had a crystal ball uh, there from, I think, every expert. Sure, sure. And uh, same thing with Josh Connerly. They're just really sort of a temperature gauge as to – where things are leaning or what people are hearing, what the buzz is, but they can change pretty quickly. So uh, I think with Jason Mitchell, that's probably not going to change as quickly. Um, obviously uh, I think uh, you could see maybe some more in there. Uh, Dakota Fields is another player that uh, got uh, a scholarship offer from USC recently. That's very high on USC at a Sarah high school. Uh, USC still got a great connection to Sarah. You know, you've got uh, uh, Mr. CJ Pollard who uh, is uh, coaching there. Uh, his dad, Marvin, coaches there. And, uh, you know, those are Trojan alums and proud Trojan alums. And I think, uh, you know, there's always been a very good connection in, to USC. And USC's done very well. And that's how you create a pipeline. You have to have some players that have gone to a school that have actually developed and had success and gone on to the next level. And USC can point to that, Robert Woods, Marquise Lee, and some of those players that have come out of Sarah. So that's a pipeline school that still exists for USC. And don't forget, Mr. Roderick Robinson could be that next one. You know, I know USC is very involved with him. Uh, Speedster cornerback for the 2023 class. He could be, he is a big target for this uh, defense, especially given his uh, speed prowess. Uh, they would love to have more speed out there on the, on the ends for their secondary. They got Damani Jackson last year and Roderick just as fast as him, maybe even faster than Jackson. So we'll see what he does in track this year. But yeah, the Sarah pipeline is, uh, getting turned back on, especially just like the poly pipeline. So nice to see those schools, uh, 
USC staying involved with those schools. And Gerard, I think that's going to wrap us up unless there's anything else you want to touch on. No, I think we covered uh, quite a bit and um, you know, we're going to see uh, what happens here uh, with the spring game and sort of what the atmosphere is and what kids feel like coming away from being on campus for that particular game. We're really, you know, more than any other year, really going to be watching the spring game ourselves just to see more of what the team is doing. You know, in previous yeah. years, we've had much more exposure and much more time to be able to evaluate the football team during spring ball. We've been pretty much shut out from that completely this spring. So, I mean, I'm interested just to watch the team myself and uh, what happens of it with recruiting. We'll see USC jumps into the May evaluation period, which is already technically going right now. Uh, starts April 15th. So they're going to go in, you're going to see them going to campuses and they'll be, you know, giving some more offers out, seeing some of the guys that they've uh, already offered scholarships to um, checking their temperature and then going in and seeing, you know, if, if there are some guys that have developed a little bit, over time, because most of these kids, uh, a, a lot of the staff isn't seen, you know, nationally probably since uh, January. So, you know, there's going to be some development period there. Some guys might move up the board. Some guys might move down on the board. So we'll see what happens. And then they're going to have some official visits uh, coming here, possibly uh, at the end of April. Maybe uh, there's going to be a week in May that they're going to have some official visitors. Uh, so we're going to see how that develops as well. And you know, who they're willing to push on early and try to get commitments out of. Plus all the activity we're going to see with the transfer portal over the next couple of weeks. So basically what you're saying is we're not going anywhere. This podcast is not going anywhere. We will catch you next time because you can expect some more episodes in the near future. Sound good, Gerard? Sounds good. All right. I'm Chris. That's Gerard. This is the Composite Two Star Recruits, and we will check you next time.